Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Shad. I'm joined by Matt and Brad. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. What up, party people? I would just like everyone to know that I'm going heel in solidarity with Becky Lynch. I think it's very good important. Yeah, I think it's very important that we show solidarity with Becky. We need that hashtag campaign going, don't we? Yeah, hashtag uh, Yas Queen <laughs> Becky. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Becky did nothing wrong. She did nothing wrong. No, I she know. didn't. The only thing she's she did- uh, she's clearly not the heel, even though that's how they're pushing her. The only thing she did wrong is she didn't steal the title belt. Yeah, well. Then, then we could have had Stone Cold Becky Lynch. Exactly. Yeah, she should have thrown it in the river. Find the river, been. throw it in it. <laughs> that would have been cool. I would no, have liked that. No, she should have pulled the Stan Hansen and run over it with her truck. What's the Irish version of that? Dang, those guys aren't on Top Gear anymore. Um, I suppose. Like, what What do Yabos drive? Yabos. Yeah, that's the when I I used to watch when my son was born. Top Gear was one of the few things I could watch that he would not scream at, and so they refer to apparently um, young crazy ass drivers. Unless I'm, if you're out there and you're in Great Britain or anywhere close to it, please. Please, if I'm wrong, let us know so I can correct it and I'm not making a fool out of myself. But young, crazy-ass drivers, they kind of referred to like that. Um, I know there's a different term for it here, or that's a different term for something else in the States, but (sighs) anyway. You know, I don't think I've ever seen even a nanosecond of Top Gear. I enjoy Top Gear a lot. I, I I get a kick out of it, and I like the grand tour they have on uh, that they have on Amazon. The second season actually has Goldberg as one of their celebrity guests. No, wait, I, I saw. Um, I think I saw the Patrick Stewart appearance. That's okay. That must have been the British one. Uh, yeah, that's just further back than I had access to. Okay. In any event, just to let you guys know, um, first of all. Hashtag Becky did nothing wrong. How can we do that? Well, we have, we're getting our social media presence built up. Uh, Brad, what's our Facebook presence? Uh, Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four, then corners is one word podcast. Uh, Give us a like, leave a comment. All right. And Matt, we have Twitter presence too, right? Yeah, Shad, we're also on Twitter. We We are at at podcast four corners that's capital p in podcast the number four and four corners at podcast four corners uh follow us send us messages uh tweet at us all of that good stuff we'd be happy to uh converse with you yeah so hey we'd love to hear from you and you know whenever we have a new episode go up. We like to get on our social media, and we like to give a shout-out to someone, don't we, Matt? We do, and that would be Epico Cologne, who has the best... Uh, he's one of the best tag team part uh, 
<laughs> best tag team wrestlers of all time. Oh, golly, that segue, Matt. That's excellent. That is a segue. I know. I love it. That's excellently done. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about uh, tag teams tonight. Some of the favorite tag teams we've seen. Some of the things that uh, we love out of tag wrestling. And um, this, uh, you know, the the kinds of things that we can go with. So, of course, our podcast's favorite tag team is the Colognes. Let's just get that out there. Out that there goes without front, saying. Right? Well, they're 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 at the top of the pedestal, and then the, everyone else comes second. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the record and say I don't like the Carlito Primo version. Oh yeah, it, it any uh, any version has to include Epico. I thought that was understood. Like, how long did the Yeah, how long did the Carlito Primo team last? They had those belts for a long time. Really? Yeah, I think so. Because they unified them, I believe. Huh. A lot longer than you think, but that was back when they didn't give, like, a rat's ass about um, the tag titles. Hmm. This is like a, a black hole in my memory. I was at the show where they won the belts. It was, like, on a SmackDown. That's right before they... Then they, um... They unified them. I'm looking it up right now. Hmm. But, you know, they've they've... Screwed around with those belts so much that uh, it's hard to remember. Unified and then new ones and then unified and then new ones and then forgot about these. And then it's like, we were going to make some new ones, but then we remembered we had these. Yeah. And then unified them again, right? Mm, it looked like they had it for 84 days. They wanted in a lumberjack match. Huh. I, it's because they're manly men. So, um... <laughs> I missed most of that match because it wasn't a SmackDown where they won them. I don't remember who they won them from. But some guy was getting arrested down on the floor. So I was watching that guy get arrested, and I totally missed the title change. And that was the only title change I've ever, like, been to live. So that's my story of not seeing them win the titles. Hmm. I have the worst luck on seeing title changes happen live because the only title changes I've seen happen live were shows that I was booked on. <laughs> so, all right. Anyway, we've been talking about tag teams. Uh, I'll go ahead and let you tell you all out there that for me, tag team wrestling is potentially the most engaging kind that I think you can have. Because you have more tools at play. You have more things you can do. And it's just, gosh, good tag wrestling is so engaging. It draws me in so much that I, even even me where I am right now, a good tag match will have me leaning forward off the edge of my seat with my eyes wide and my hands clasped going, oh man, oh man, oh man, what's going to happen? I don't know about you guys, but... So when I started watching wrestling, I started watching WCW in 1997. And I don't know how many people here have like seen that era of WCW extensively, but 
that era probably had just one of the most prolific tag team divisions a company has ever seen, where they had the Outsiders, Harlem Heat, uh, the Steiners, Public Enemy, the Faces of Fear, um, and I'm forgetting teams, but I know there's probably like another 20 teams that were... Luger Giant, yeah, Public Enemy, um, Glacier, I, and um, Ernest, Ernest Miller, Miller. <laughs> Ernest the Cat Miller, yes. Ernest oh, Miller. If you're going to mention those two, you have to mention uh, Mortis and Wrath. Yep. Yes. Yeah, they're opposite up. numbers. Yeah, I know, I know that uh, Brian Clark's big breakout in, in WCW didn't come until later, but dude, I loved the Wrath gimmick. Even against the backdrop of all of the Blood Runs Cold stuff, I loved Wrath. I actually liked Mortis and Wrath. Despite the goofiness, the fact that all of them were supposed to be clear analogs to Mortal Kombat characters, like I actually dug the gimmick for at least those two guys, and I thought they worked well together. I liked yeah. um, James Mitchell. Was, uh, James Vandenberg was decent, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, man. That was that was fun to watch, and the feud they had with Glacier and and Ernest Miller. Hey, look, I know it wasn't the greatest work rate stuff, but man, it was fun. I remember them having like a good match with the Outsiders. I'm not mistake. I'm not like misremembering this, right? Oh I no, feel like Wrath that and Mortis totally did. Because yeah. I can see in my mind Brian Clark staring down Kevin Nash and not back, and like they're on the announce booth going, "There's not a whole lot of guys that can stand toe to toe with Kevin Nash, but there's one of them, and he's not backing down." And I'm just like, I was so hyped because it's something I hadn't seen before. Yeah. It got that era got crazy because especially if you watch like all the sideshows, like there were all sorts of like weird things going on, like Greg Valentine working, you know, worldwide and stuff like that. Well, the other thing that happened in that time frame was that you did not have the um, you had guys who were not necessarily consistent tag teams but still working together a lot. So Scott Hall and Randy Savage versus Lex Luger and Diamond Dallas Page was a program that went on for at least a month. Mm-hmm. And there there weren't, quote, the established tag teams. So like Nash and Six were defending the tag titles with Wolfpack rules. But you still had these guys, you know, you still had these tag matches going on the main event and that's that's you know where I first got acquainted with all the heel stuff, you know the the tag without tag and and things like that. I also there was also a psychosis and Laparka working mm, together. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was that's true. And we also WCW later on we even got the cruiserweight tag division, which was a hell of a lot of fun for the three weeks it lasted. Yeah, it, it, they brought it in right as the company was dying, basically. But they had some really good matches for and, what it was. I re- I remember the. Do you guys remember the actual like tournament? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah. For for people who are big fans of uh, current day AJ Styles, a very very young AJ Styles. During the Airman um, gimmick. Yes. Yeah, 
he uh, he teamed with Air Paris, who it's like whoever. When have you heard of that kid from? Yeah, in like the last like eighteen years. He didn't. It was even Air Paris and Air Styles. But yeah, that was a that was his good stuff. So, um, I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Oh well, well, Brad was sharing how he got into it. I oh, yeah, sorry, I lost track. I don't know if he. I don't know, if Brad, if you had anything more to add. Nope. Just uh, that's kind of an. They they screwed the tag team division up pretty quickly after that, but there was that solid first year was just like a prolific tag team division. You came in at a good time because um, they still had really good tag teams. I actually, when I started watching wrestling, it was even earlier in the '90s. Uh, originally starting with WCW, but. I quickly became a fan of like the old WWF before they had to change the name since they lost to the Panda Company, <laughs> um, and there that was early '90s. I feel was still like also the era of the the tag teams. You had a lot of good tag teams like in WCW and and um, and the WWF too. Plus, at that point in time, it was kind of easy to get old like WWF uh, pay per views at the video store. So I clearly was able to watch all the old well at that point not that old but you know like for the late 80s WWF pay-per-views Mania, SummerSlam, all that stuff and I would see just a tons of those tag teams Heart uh, Foundation, Demolition Strike Force Killer Bees, like all of them and so I, I've always like loved uh, tag team wrestling because I think when it's done properly and you know back then they really had it down it's it tells a really compelling story that sometimes is even more rewarding than just singles matches mm-hmm. the I can remember the thing that got me I can remember the moment that got me on tag wrestling was one of the few instances where I got to watch stuff earlier on in my life and it was the enforcers Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco versus the fearsome team of the I don't think it was the Patriot but it was it was something like that and Firebreaker Chip (laughs) it was uh, Todd it was Todd Champion Todd Champion and Firebreaker something like that they were the yeah two guys who didn't really do much of anything yeah but here's what here's what did it for me Zabisco's in the ring, and I can't remember which guy it is, goes to shoot him off. Zabisco turns, hits the ropes, leans over, blind tags Anderson. And as he's going to the other side, Anderson comes in, just hooks the DDT and plants him. The guy never saw it coming, and when Zabisco hit the other ropes, he hit the other guy on the team and put him down. It was so smooth. It was so well done. I was hooked. We've talked about this, I feel, before, um, but the Enforcers uh, lost the, those titles to Ricky Steamboat and Dustin Rhodes at one of the Clash of the Champions. I want to say it was like a 91, and that was the uh, that was the infamous match where Ricky Steamboat was coming back to the, the company after having been, I think, he had like a brief stint in, uh, in WWF at that time. Mm-hmm. Where they didn't really do much of anything with him, but he came back, um, and he—that was like his debut because he was Dustin Rhodes' mystery partner. Because the Enforcers had actually 
they pulled that old like Dusty Rhodes mm-hmm. gimmick where they they uh, slammed Barry Windham because that was Dustin Rhodes' tag team part. They slammed his his uh, wrist inside like a car door, mm. so he he wasn't able to compete. He wasn't medically cleared, as they say. Yeah. And Steembo came out as the uh, like the surprise, and there the it, I I don't know if you can find the match on um on YouTube, but you can. It's one of the Clash of the Champions, so you should be able to find it on the the WWE Network. But it is such a great match. It's 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 actually a very good match, like in terms of work rate and everything but the story that they told with that was amazing and that's the one that has the infamous line from Arn Anderson where he is so freaked out about Ricky Steamboat and they're trying everything to like uh, take out Ricky Steamboat in the early part of the match and Ricky Steamboat just is answering everything he's like knocking him off uh, <clears throat> outside the ring and Arn Anderson just freaks out and he goes he's just a man he's just a man trying to psych himself out and I want to I could be misremembering this, but I want to say like Tony Schiavone or whoever was the announcer. Maybe it was Jim Ross. They were like, he's not a man, he's the dragon. <laughs> Which is kind like of like a, a cheesy line. That sounds like a Jim Ross-ism. Uh, it might have been. Yeah, been and that's a, I don't care how cheesy that sounds, that is an awesome line. JR love- had a certain conviction in those days before he got super cartoony. Yeah. Well, JR had the um, ability to... He learned from Bill Watts about how to sell what was going on, and that's something I think is missing today a lot. One one of my favorite calls of his is a really dumb one from, like, just this random episode of um, World Championship Wrestling in '89, where Kevin Sullivan's trying to steal Rick Steiner's dog, and uh, the junkyard dog comes out and makes the save and. Jim Ross is going like that's a big dog, and then you can't see anything. You see like Kevin Sullivan stop, and you see uh, the junkyard dog walk out, out on screen with, um, I think Michael Hayes. Mm-hmm. But that's one of my favorite calls that he ever did. Okay, okay. So we've said we were going to talk about tag teams. We got a little, little sidetracked, but that's okay. Yep. We have compiled a list each of us about. Uh, favorite tag teams that we had. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us around and um, ask you guys, tell me about some of your favorite tag teams. And we may end up agreeing on some. We may not. And we'll just kind of see what happens. So um, this time I think, Brad, why don't you start us off with one of your picks? Okay, well... um... This is not on my list. We're going to do an honorable mention just because he died last week. But let's uh, let's give a shout out to the new breed of um, Sean Royal and Chris Champion because Chris Champion just died. Oh, wow. That's uh, nice. I know. I know Chris Champion better as Yoshi Kwan. What was he Yoshi Kwan in? Because you mentioned that. And I had to look. He up. was in WCW as Yoshi Kwan. This was like, I want to say. 92 or 93 where this was back when cactus jack was was a, a face he had turned face and he was feuding with vader um they had chris champion come out in what can now in today's modern era only be described as a ridiculously like offensive um <laughs> parody of like a japanese was he doing- or is or quote oriental um is, fighter so he was wow. doing he was doing the py chew like white guy playing an Asian guy. Yeah, like yeah. they they gave him makeup to like make his eyes seem you know oh, Asian man. Asian. Well, not he basically they did like eyeliner to kind of make elongate 
the eyes. It, it was bizarre. Um, and he was managed by, of all people, uh, Harley Race. And he was only there, I feel like, for a few months. And he, he had like a, a couple matches with Cactus Jack, but that was about it. The New Breed was a fun tag team, though, because I'm looking at their Wikipedia, and their gimmick was they were time travelers from the year 2002. And they came mm-hmm. out to... You got to fight for your right to party by the Beastie Boys. If you look, you should look up pictures of them because they do look like your typical Back to the Future, like future looking guys. So they're they're a fun little team. I think they're around in like 86 and 87. Yeah, they had like a brief, uh, brief period in like the, the NWA. Yeah, and they're actually. What, well did Sean, what did Sean Royal ever do Let's after? Look. I don't think much. Let's see. I feel like he's a guy who probably like hung around, but I don't know what he actually accomplished. I'm looking. By the way, as as Brad looks that up, did did we hear? Um, he kind of disappears after that. Did we hear? Uh, Mousy Schmidt or whatever her name. Is. Oh, oh yes, you heard the illustrious uh, Pips Mouser Schmitz. Pips Schmitz. Yes, uh, Vermin Slayer, first of her name. The reason that her. Her surname is uh, Meowsher Schmitz, is because I was really entertaining myself far too much by trying to get the receptionist at the vet to write that out on her tag. Nice. Okay, so my my first entry into this is um, is a team from this decade, and um, they are instrumental, kind of in some DVD buying I had over the course of about a decade and actually a company for a company that got me back into wrestling in 2012. That is the colony of fire ant and soldier ant from Chikara. Wow. (laughs) You know, I really approve of this because, Oh man, I have a, a ton of teens on my list right here. And I had to make a conscientious choice to add people from like the last, I would say 15 years Um, because most of my like really favorite teams are from like my childhood basically or like the 90s or the 80s. But uh, Chikara, any a lot of the Chikara teams, that's a good pick because they're modern and it's they're a lot of fun. The colony there is a great choice. And they're they're iconic to that company Mm -hmm. because when you think of when you think of Chikara, you, you think of the the BDK. You think of Mike Quackenbush, you probably think of Dasher Hatfield and um, Hallow Wicked, Eddie Kingston, and The Colony. So a big part of the reason I actually got into Chikara back in the day was watching the podcast A Go-Go for free. So what that was is they would release like a 10-minute podcast every week and show like clips of matches, and then they would post a lot of their promos on YouTube, and a lot of what got me to start buying their DVDs, which were like 20 bucks at the time were um, Ultraman is black and the order of the Neo solar temple and the colony. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting to see them develop from being students into what they became, like which were really confident workers. And I think probably their best match was the young bucks match at high noon. And I think that was 2012, maybe 2011, 2011, I think. I never saw that match, but I I was kind of into the into the into Chikara overall in like maybe 2010, 2011. When the BDK stuff was really yeah, and, and probably a little bit before that. Um, 
and I haven't really seen them. I haven't really seen their stuff um, in a long time, but it, I've. It lost I something looked, with the close down angle. Hmm. You can actually subscribe to their streaming service for, I think, eight bucks a month, and they have like all the shows on there. Mm. And I think most of the new shows air live. I actually, for some reason, checked their uh, their roster the other day, and it's a bunch of guys who I don't even know who it is. But yeah, they've they've really. It seemed really through. interesting. I, I I feel like Chikara has always been like that company that I don't know if it's for everyone, but it's just it was always consistently fun. It it like I said, it hasn't been very good since the the close down angle. But there was a mm-hmm. period I'd say from like when the BDK showed up until the close down angle. And there was about a two and a half year period in there where that company, like, if you've ever seen like a company just firing on all cylinders, it was um, Chikara. And, and I think yeah, they, they were, don't get the credit they deserve. Yeah, they were pretty compelling for a while. I actually went to a show, I think in 2015, I sat front row. I would go, but I, I don't think they run in um, the clinic. They've, I'm in DC, so the closest I think they run is like they they've they've usually kind of, Philly. They've kind of like a Philly area back to just mm-hmm. Philly. They mm-hmm. there was a while there they were kind of exploring the Midwest and they came through here on an experiment. I think they may have come down to Baltimore once or twice, but I'm yeah. They were doing North Carolina for a long time too, but the 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 biggest memory I have from that show is they did a superplex spot and they're in this community center and they kicked the light out. <laughs> and so they do the superplex and this light fixture comes crashing down into the ring with them as they do it. So, yeah. I have almost done that myself on a spot. Um, not doing a superplex. I used to do a... I would come off the second with like a flying Ricky Steamboat overhead chop thing. And... I, I hopped up there and I'm looking at the guy and I go to jump. And when I jump, I realize as it, my vision line of vision goes up, I see one of the lights from the venue hanging down right in my path. So I kind of had to, to roll, um, and, and, and land awkwardly in order not to smash my head and break glass all over the ring and that sort of stuff. Nice. Yeah. A little bit. My favorite, uh, I haven't gotten to watch a lot of Chikara. There, I will admit that one of my personal in-jokes with some friends of mine and with my brother does come from Chikara, and that is Dragon Dragon. He's a huge dragon. But to see the clip where the colony comes through the curtain their music is Ants Marching by the Dave Matthews Band, and then the song stops, and they just freeze in place for like 45 seconds until they get it going again. Is one of the funniest wrestling things I have ever seen. The um, Invisible Grenade from Chuck Taylor with them. Yes, I was just going to mention that. Soldier Ant pushing his comrades away and diving on it is... In slow motion. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That is an amazing spot. I just forgot what I was gonna say. There it was something related to them when you were talking. Um, oh, Dragon Dragon, Dragon Dragon. If you don't know, is Eddie Kingston, and he was he was murdered by Oleg the Usurper, 
And it's on YouTube. He pretty much... Wait. There's no more Dragon Dragon? No, he was killed. Pack it up, guys. I'm done with wrestling. So, We're shutting it down. Oleg the Usurper has a move called Off With His Head, which is pretty much clotheslining someone in the head after he yells Off With His Head. And he pretty much knocked Dragon Dragon's head into, like, the third row of the crowd, and Dragon Dragon was dead. Daggone what? it. We need his son, Dragon Dragon Dragon. Don't forget uh, Retail a- Dragon, too. Yes, oh, yeah. I remember Retail Dragon <laughs> with his Walmart vest. One of my one of my favorite um, gimmicks that they did. Uh, I think he was only like maybe they only used this for maybe like a couple matches, but it was uh, the play on uh, CM Punk. It was oh, CP yes. Punk, and it was a dude. Was it? Was it actually? Um... It was Necro Butcher, I think. Oh, it was Necro wow. Okay, I knew it was like an actual name person, but they came out in a <laughs> in like a a big chipmunk like furry suit. Uh, don't forget, <laughs> don't forget Colt Cabani as well. Yes, they used they used Colt Cabani in an angle years later with Colt Cabana, but um, CM Punk, as you might imagine, did not find the humor in CP Monk. Well, of course not. Well, no, like Cabana's the kind of guy that he would show up and think it's funny and then want to do something with that. No, they did. They Punk had would get butt hurt about it. They had um, Archibald Peck was had um, was use was you was like abusing Colt Cabana and taking him around in a chain and Colt Cabana was trying to rescue him. What? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, about we could that. we could actually just do an entire show talking about um, Shikara. Shikara. Yeah, and I know we have more, more, many more teams to talk about. I will say though that one of my favorite um, when they have the King of Trios tournament every every year, and it's obviously it's Shikara teams, but it's also you know, different indie teams and random teams that they've put together, and one of my favorite. <laughs> One of my favorite teams that they ever did was the Cold Front, which was Glacier and the oh, the ice yes. cream. Yes. <laughs> I I also want to say, wow, just, that sounds awesome. It sounds so ridiculous. I also want to say, um, one of my favorite clips, and you can see it, this is Chikara related, is the Assyrian Portal and CZW, where they um. They they're in some tournament and they hypnotize the guys and start having them dance and then they they have um so if you yes and then um they have Ophidian hypnotize the back and like the entire roster comes out and starts like dancing around the ring and then yes. they just stop and have their opponents pass out and then splash them and win. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's that's so silly and yet so fun. But I love that. Just we'll go, we'll move on after this. But the the. The Assyrian portal hat, like where he uses Ophidian to um, to hypnotize people, and then they make them dance is hilarious. Yes, yes, it is. Well, Matt, why don't you uh, why don't you go ahead and and, and give <clears throat> us a pick off of your list? All right. Uh, again, I, I haven't really picked a lot of people who are kind of more modern era. Um. But I'll go with one of my favorite teams when I was a kid. Like I love these guys, and I followed them both when they were in NWA slash WCW, then to WWF, and then back to WCW. But the Steiner Brothers. The Steiner Brothers. Excellent choice. 
always was a big fan of theirs. Um, I was always probably like a more of a fan of Scott for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> but as I've you know grown older, um, I've really come to appreciate Rick. Like Rick was such a great worker in his own right. Like a lot, I feel kind of underrated as a worker because um, he can actually go toe to toe with a lot of guys and. Who doesn't love the Steiner line? We've mentioned that before oh, yeah, in our yeah. Variant episode. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, just tremendous team. They were great in WCW. Uh, in like the early '90s, they were like like tag team gods. Like they're yeah. one of those tag teams that I wish. I, this is how I feel like they really should book like dedicated tag team people. Uh, even if it's like modern era WWE, it's like if you have a tag team and they're like dedicated tag team, they're not just like random people you put together. They should always be presented as like you know just absolute specialists that they could like theoretically defeat anyone you put them up against. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're going to feud with different tag teams, but I hate that this this thing that they've done and, and they've done this for like a long time now. But where it's like uh, the two random main eventers who don't like each other will be thrown into a tag team, yeah, and they'll automatically beat like the best tag team on the roster. And it's like no, no, no. You shouldn't do that. And back in the day, like in the early '90s, like they didn't really do that with the Steiner brothers. They they have them, you know, fight a uh, main eventer sometimes, and they always would like steamroll the main eventers. Like occasionally you'd have, maybe you'd have like uh, Sting and Luger beat them or something like that. But Sting and Luger had their own like tag team thing going on. That but, was, right, right. That was a great Super Brawl match. Actually, was Sting and Luger versus. The Steiners. I Steiners, yeah. Everyone just throwing bombs on each other. Yeah, but that's what I loved. Is like that's how you should do it. You should have like guys just they're the tag team specialists. Like they they should not be beat, except for maybe another tag team specialist. Um, and back in the day, they were just awesome. They they really pushed them as like this force of nature. And then when they went to the WWF, uh, they still had a, a. I feel like they had a good run. I enjoyed them, but. Uh, they probably treaded a little bit of water in the WWF compared to WCW. But then, then when they went back to WCW, they had a lot of good matches. And then you had, towards the end of the 90s, it was kind of funky when you had yeah. them split up and uh, Scott doing like a heel thing and then, a bang, yeah. but then Rick being a heel. And it was in the entire mess of the NWA, the NWO, sorry. But um, always one of my favorite tag teams. They had a ton of great matches with a lot of different guys. They They had one of the underrated greatest spots in wrestlemania history and that was the samoan the samoans had like one of them had rick on his shoulders and the other guy was going for like a splash mm-hmm. on the guy's shoulder and rick caught him like midair and suplexed him like on the other guy's shoulders mm. that was at wrestlemania 9 i think that the one thing that the Steiners also need a lot of credit for is the fact that even though they had usually had one go-to team finish, it seemed like they had several believable ways they could do it. So, you know, the, the, the electric chair flying bulldog, for example, that's, that was the usual thing, but they also had the electric chair top rope DDT combo and stuff like that. It was just so cool to see. And let's not forget about the um, the forgotten about third Steiner, which is Petey Williams. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> Maple Leaf Muscle Petey Williams. We can't we can't forget because because he knows what the percentage chances are. 
You, you know what I think the problem in the WWE with them was is that was really a lull in the tag team division. They came about a mm-hmm. year too late, and Money Inc. was not a particularly um, compelling opponent. They were solid, but it's kind of hard to... Every, of course everyone's going to hate Money Inc., but and the t- I don't know. It's... And the teams that would have would have willingly gone stiff with them were gone. Like, if you would have had the Faces of Fear there, Demolition, or even, like, the Twin Towers that would have been a little more open to the give and take, I think they would have been more memorable. Mm. Was that the Steiners when um, Mick Foley was talking about doing job duty in the NWA and how everyone would go up to the... um, go up to see who they were wrestling when it was a job duty and then the solemn look of like doom as they found out they were working the steiners i'm not sure if it was the steiners or vader but i could see it both ways because there's a story he tells about i think i think it's him that tells about someone quitting on the spot (laughs) that was about vader okay yeah that was about vader and i think they're speaking of doom that was a good program for them too oh Oh, yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely Okay. Steiner's obviously awesome. Both of the guys were good separately, but they were fantastic together. Uh, And, you know, that just core of early mid 90s tag wrestling. Um, I'm going to go because I had the Steiner's on my list, so I'm going to have to find someone to take that spot. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to go a little bit further back. And I'm going to go with one of my uh, my old inspirations for when I did get to do tag stuff. I'm going to go to the Midnight Express. Oh, yeah. Are you, a, are you an Eaton and Lane man or a Condrian Eaton man? I'm more familiar. I was always more familiar with Eaton and Lane because I saw them first. So that means that whenever I saw Eaton and Condry, it... You know how you see some, like you see a version of a later version of something first, and then you go back and watch the earlier one, and it just doesn't, yeah, doesn't sit quite the same way. That's kind of how I am. I mean, it, they're Midnight Express; they're excellent, uh, but it's one of those. It's kind of like, it, mm. but the fact that you had two excellent workers, whether it was Eaton Lane or Eaton Condry, and a great manager. And these guys all worked together so well. And I suppose sometimes you could add Ray Trailer in with them, right? But you had these guys who worked together so well and were willing to do just about anything and could work with anybody. It was just fantastic. And, um, I mean, hell, we ripped my... Uh, the guy that got me in the business and I have a picture of he and I ripping off the rocket launcher. That was their finish. So maybe at some point I'll post that. So I think, I think my favorite part of watching um, Crockett TV from the mid eighties are the midnight express job matches and just seeing them find a different way to murder some poor jobber weekend and week mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because some weeks they're just like, hey, let's try a gut-rich suplex off the top rope and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm I'm probably, I would say I'm probably like an Eaton Lane 
guy just because like just like you Shad, I'm more familiar with that yeah. tag team. Um I've heard a lot of good things about um Eaton and Condry. I just haven't seen enough of their matches to actually to gauge it. Yeah. I mean, but still you you have that same dynamic. Um the infamous what four hour cornet shoot, he talks about how whenever Stan came, you know, because Dennis just vanished at some point. Yeah, he basically like ghosted them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like even his wife didn't know where he went. <laughs> he was just gone. Um for a number of years. Whenever Stan came in, it was like they just picked up and went like nothing ever happened. So, you know, if, if, I mean, the, the, the one I'll refer to is the Midnight Express versus the Southern Boys. That was, I think that was Clash of the Champions that was in Baltimore, right? Yeah, I believe. I can't, I can't remember which Clash, but it's just, it's so good. It's so good. And, you know, the other nice thing is that right now, you can if you if you're a fan of the Midnight Express, you can get your Midnight Express fix by watching the revival work because they do a lot of the similar the same not the same moves necessarily, but they do a lot of similar stuff. It's a it's it's the same flavor. It'd be like, you know, dark chocolate instead of milk chocolate or something, but I heard did it, have any of you guys seen either of you guys seen um Stark eighty eight? Yes. The uh, the Midnight Express versus original Midnight Express match. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I just remember that. I don't. I can't recall if it was good. I, I feel like it was, but it's been so many years since I've seen it. The angle, the angle they went with to start it was really good because they went like. I know it's I know it's hack these days, but they went with kind of like a work shoot where they come out and attack the Midnights, and Jim Ross is like, "Hey, those guys don't work here." Mm-hmm. And but, um, but they yeah. busted Cornette open. Oh yeah, Cornette bled like a like a stuck pig. And he was wearing the white jacket uh, and everything. Because uh, I remember I remember the story on that. Because Dusty said, "Yeah, we're on, on TBS, baby. You can get a, li- a little tooth, a little tooth." And so he goes out there and he blades and he's he's like he he bladed, but he's he didn't feel anything coming. So he's like, <laughs> you know, trying to get it to go, and it's just like cascading down his face and down the jacket and everything and they get to the back and does like baby I said you could get a little tooth what's wrong with you that's a that I think that's on YouTube it's at least on the network but that's worth seeing like it's it's a work shoot before they did that to death and it was a really novel presentation yeah there there are ways to do that well it kind of and there are ways to not it kind of ran out of some juice pre uh like um post post-Starcade because I think Condry disappears and like in the blow-off match they have to substitute Jack Victory in for him. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. Hmm. And then um, Cornette and Heyman at Great American Bash 89 do a tuxedo match and Heyman gets stripped to his boxers, I believe. Well... So if you want something sexy after this podcast, go check that out. <laughs> I think Cordette, I think Cordette is uh, it bitches about Bob Cottle on that because Cottle's like, let's see some clothes get torn off during the commentary or something. 
uh, I don't remember. I'd have to go dig that out. Well, oh, it man. could it, it could be worse. It could be like a scaffold match. Ooh, Cornette yeah. already had that happen at '88, where he. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Have you seen the? Don't watch. That. Yeah. No, don't. Knees don't don't avoid. No, they. Let me put it to you this way. I heard about it. I went and watched it, and my knee hurt for a week. Yeah. Just off the memory of. But, you know, and. I, I'm, I'm not going to do this because I don't need to keep doing Dusty impressions, but I do remember the story about how that was supposed to end. Dusty telling him, it's like, well, well, Dennis takes a bump off the scaffold, and Bobby takes a bump off the scaffold, and Cornette's like, takes a bump off the what? And the idea was that he get, you know, Cornette's hanging from the scaffold, and he kicks his feet up, and they catch you like they catch the girls at the football games. <laughs> and it didn't work. Ouch. It very badly didn't work. You know, and that, that was a terrible idea, too. You know, Cornette is, um, Cornette is an underrated great puncher. If you ever get to see him work, like his punches look immaculate. Probably because he was such good friends with Bobby Eaton. Probably. I should have asked Bobby Eaton to, have, to that first night in the business. I should have asked Bobby Eaton, can you, can you teach me how to throw a good punch? You know, Eaton's... Eaton's were, Eaton's were different though. Eaton was very good at that like glancing jab that he'd mm-hmm. catch you with. Like he didn't, it didn't, his weren't like those Jerry Lawler kind of like overhand like, looks like, he just walloped you. His were like that. He had a very boxer style to his. Yeah, it was more like a jab, but it always looked good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I know this is so, going to come up later because I know both of you guys feel strongly on the Arn Anderson front, but I'm going to throw in the Tully Blanchard Arn Anderson tag team. I tell you what, how about we do this? We'll put our cards on the table because you're referring strictly to Blanchard and Anderson, also known as the Braden Busters or known as the Horsemen, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. Matt and I discussed this, and this entry on our list is basically anything with Arn Anderson. So that yeah. would be that'd be Oli and Arn, Arn and Tully, Arn and Zabisco. Bobby Eaton. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Basically, anyone you would pair Arn Anderson with, you're going to have like a, at least at a minimum, you're going to have a decent to exceptionally good tag team. Arn and Flair, even though, yeah, Arn and Flair. I mean, it's whew, that's man, that's that's a lot of uh, <laughs> that's just so much good in one go. See, if you're gonna have uh, Arn and Flair team up, they have to be facing some combination of like Sting and someone else, <laughs> or Mongo and Kevin Green. Yeah. <laughs> or the American boys, or no, the Ameri- American males. Yes, that's it. American males. The American males. American males. Yeah. American males. Ugh. American males. <laughs> that must be the most awful song ever. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Um, there's just so many good examples of Arn working with people. Um, 
I mean, obviously Arn was good. Maybe he was also. It's hard to tell if it, if he was just really good at picking people to work with, or if he brought them. If he like brought them up, he melded himself to those different guys, though. And I mean, Oli was no spring chicken by the time they were teaming together, and they were a fairly compelling tag team. Mm-hmm. And you know, Tully was Tully was amazing, but you know, he he melded to that, and you know, working with Tully and sit like. Working with Zabisco are two different things. And, you know, working with Eaton's different because, you know, Eaton can really overshadow you, but, you know, Eaton couldn't talk either. So. What would you say? Would yeah, that's. Go ahead. Uh, what would you say your favorite Iron Tag Team is? Oh. For me, it's probably him and Tully. I feel him and Zabisco is very kind of underrated. They didn't last long, did they? No, they were only together. I think I think a little over a year, maybe or about a year. It was a um, for me. Yeah, like I, I told that story earlier about. Um, about uh, Anderson and Zabisco, that's I don't know, man. It just it just worked. Uh, it's hard for me to put a finger on why, but there's there's I don't know. We know how good Arn was. Um, I was actually thinking about that earlier today, and how sad I was that the post Arn Horseman didn't really ever get a chance to flourish because. Everything was in all NWO all the time mode, but uh, just just how interesting that was, and how Arn still got to be a personality even after that. But okay, you know this is kind of also this is random, um, but it go, it goes along with our theme that anyone with um, anyone you pair with with Arn was good. Uh, do you remember, like, in mid-90s WCW when he was teaming with, uh, when he was part of that stable with Colonel Robert Parker? No. <clears throat> well, you don't remember that? They were, the they were like, a, a WCW version of the stud stable. It was random because they had, um, they had Jimmy Golden in there again, but, it, you know, in his bunkhouse buck <laughs> persona. And I feel it was Arn and Bunkhouse Buck were in like a bunch of matches. I cannot put a finger on that at all. Yeah, it actually, I mean, it culminated in a, a 1994 War Games match where it was like Dusty, um, Dusty and Dustin and the Nasty Boys <laughs> of all people um, against, uh, I want to say it was. Um, Arn and Bunkhouse Buck and Ming and Robert Colonel Robert Parker. It's not a great war games, but um, I want to I want to say like uh, Arn still had some good tag team matches where he was teaming with uh, I think with Bunkhouse Buck. Okay. We talked about um, our retrospective on SummerSlam '89 that had the um, the uh, Brainbusters versus the Rockers. No. They weren't versus the Rockers. What am I saying? They were versus the Hart Foundation. Hart Foundation, yep. Yeah, and that was that was intriguing. The story that went into it and everything. 
Um, but you know that was a good match too. It was it was kind of odd because Arn and Tully did look a little out of place. I think as we mentioned, but still a good match. Yeah. Okay, so there's a there's a whole big <laughs> a whole big hit off the list there. Um, so, Matt, who who would you put on your list next? You know, I'm going to go with another old school team. Uh huh. Um, and uh, technically old school, and uh, I guess in in today's modern era, because the team hasn't worked together in you know almost in probably 20 years. But uh, again, being a, a big WCW fan, uh, um, I'm going to go with Harlem Heat. Harlem Always Heat. Harlem Heat, the tag team of Booker T and Stevie Ray. I think they're shoot brothers, right? They're not. They're yeah, yeah. They're, I'm yeah. pretty sure they're shoot brothers. Yeah. I first got their big start on Global Wrestling Federation television. Yeah, that's I right. Say, I, I first saw I first saw them in Global, um, and was kind of really interested in them. And then I want to say like a year or so later, they that's when they popped into uh, to WCW. As the Harlem Heat, but then they weren't Booker T and Stevie Ray. What they were like Kane and Cole. Yeah, I want to say. Yeah, something like that. Oh, oh, yeah. And, With and that then of course, super awkward gimmick that they were. Yeah, yeah. And, and they uh, they immediately actually pushed them, um, pretty heavy. And then of course that's where you that eventually led to the the infamous Fall Brawl War Games 1993 match with Shockmaster. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It to be honest with you, the Shockmaster stuff. So many people will lose track of it because what do they do? They watch the video where the Shockmaster first appeared, and mm-hmm. you kind of forget that anyone other than the Shockmaster, Sid, Davy Boy, and Sting are there. But they're there. Well, you hear Davy mm-hmm. going, "Ha ha!" He fell on his ass. <laughs> We know the funny stuff. That's true. That's true. It's the hitman. It's um, the hitman. <laughs> Har- Harlem Heat does have. Brit. Harlem Heat. I can't repeat it, but Harlem Heat does have one of my like top favoriteest wrestling bloopers of all time. Oh yeah. Uh, the infamous Hulk Hogan. Yeah. We're coming for you. Dot dot dot. And, yes. and the funniest part is his reaction because he knows he he fucked up immediately. He's just like, oh, why did I say that? <laughs> he puts his hands over his face and he's like. You got a little oh, real. Yeah. Well, and do you notice that Sherry starts laughing behind him? No, I have, to, I, have to, I have to go watch that now. Yeah, because they do that. Like, Stevie Ray is a champ. He does not, his face doesn't change. Booker says that, and he immediately puts both hands up in front of his face because he's like, oh, no. And Sherry is behind them because that's in the period when Sensational Sherry was managing them, and she starts laughing. That was right before their tag match against Luger and the Giant, and whoever it was that got the win got the shot against Hogan. Who wasn't Mean Gene interviewing them when that happened? Yeah, yeah. I don't think Mean yeah. Gene reacted to that. Either. He did. He did. He... As you know, the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't react like that. Two hundred dollars an hour. My favorite. My favorite one of him is um is. 
Well, there's a couple like where someone's doing like a really terrible promo and he's like cracking up while trying to keep his like his mean gene face. Oh, yeah. Gene was usually pretty good at um Gene was usually pretty good at keeping a straight face, but my favorite example of him not keeping a straight face was actually an interview with Dr. David Schultz. And the phrase, I was in San Francisco and I wanted a woman. Yeah. So I went looking for one. I couldn't find no woman, and Gene lost it. Mean Gene is hiding his face behind David Schultz, who's trying to cut this super serious promo. Yeah. And Just cracking up. It always freaked me out because um, the Harlem Heat music and WCW, which is, by the way, one of their best entrance musics, was used oh, yeah. in a Kids in the Hall skit. Yes, I remember that skit. Yeah, really? and I, 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 I would, all, I popped when I heard that. It's, it's some like perfume. I mean, it's a kids in the <laughs> hall take on some perfume, but like they play that. Yeah, yeah. I remember that exact skit. And I also think Harlan. Wow, he, I never saw that skit. I don't. I'd have to look it up. Also, I think. They, I mean, it sounds great, but they had a great tag finisher because they kind of did the heart attack, except. Um, Booker T would kick them instead of doing like a clothesline. Yeah. They did the Harlem sidekick, right? Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I was always a huge fan of Harlem heat and they had a ton of great matches with a lot of different guys. Steiners, um, Luger and sting, the blue Bloods. uh, yeah. Road Warriors or Legion of doom, I guess. Nasty boys. Um, yeah. Nasty boys. Um, just a ton of great matches, a ton of different, uh, the outsiders. Yeah. During the NWO era, so and then of course Booker T went on to have a great singles career. But I always liked them together. I thought they were always great. And who was? Yeah, they were. Was that Harlem <laughs> Heat? Do you remember? Do you remember this Nitro match where it was like the faces of fear, and it might have been Harlem Heat, where Sting like, I mean, where Ming punched like through a like a wood chair and like Tonga and death grip someone. I don't know if this was that match, but I do remember that. I remember the spot, but I don't remember who did the match. Because I remember it was the Steiners where they used that same kind of wood chair and Rick was, like, just bleeding profusely everywhere. Oh, wow. Because they cut him by mistake because Turner didn't like blood. <laughs> no. No, they sure didn't. I also thought, I don't know what his, like, kind of scars were, but Stevie Ray always kind of having those scars on his arm always made, like, there was something that, like, made it him credible because he had those. Mm-hmm. Well, like, Booker T has scars on his back from where he got stabbed when they were teenagers, so that might be a similar kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so there, that's my choice. Harlem Heat, always a great tag team. Um, can I also choice. throw in... Can I throw in an honorable mention? Yeah, go for it. It always, because this team actually includes uh, Booker T. Uh, they only had one, I think, brief run with the titles, but I always loved the the tag team he had with Goldust. Yes. In WWE. <laughs> that is, it has so much personality, didn't it? That is, yeah. that is one of my favorite segments ever is Booker T and Goldust in the 7-Eleven where Goldust is like, I'll give you a drink of my Slurpee if I can have a bite of your oh. wiener. <laughs> and Booker T like freaks out. 
<laughs> and also when they were doing their movie review and Goldust is like, is like, I should have been the Scorpion King and Booker T's like, don't you mean the Scorpion Queen? And he was like really amused at that burn he got in on him. <laughs> oh man, there was so much personality in that team. It was so much fun to watch. And, well, and it was helped by the fact that Goldust is maybe one of the best like face workers in the last 30 years that gets no love at all. He's, he's, uh, he's incredibly underrated because he is tremendous. Like his yeah. comebacks and just I, he I could do a whole podcast on how ama- like uh, how amazing he is as a worker. Yeah, the gold dust gimmick gave him so much freedom to do pretty much whatever the hell he wanted to because Goldust was supposed to be so weird that anything goes, right? It was Goldust was so weird that he could pretty much do anything. And so it wasn't weird for him to quote Booker T's catchphrase back to him. You know, it's just like Goldust doing weird stuff. You know, he he even got on Stern with that Tourette's gimmick. Did he really? They were doing sound drops of it for a long time, and they brought him on for like an hour. That's like the that's not even the most notable. That's like one of the least notable things Goldust did, and yet there it is. You know, I mean, he's still. I was gonna say. Thinking about it, I would even be tempted to put the Rhodes family on my top five all time because that's like the last angle in the WWE I got super invested in was the Rhodes um, versus the Shield. Oh, that's a good point. Because Reigns spearing him through the barricade was off the charts awesome. Yeah. Who was it? Cody's the one that got the last fall on that, wasn't he? Because um, Reigns had him, and Big Show came out of the crowd, punched Reigns in the face, and then Cody pinned him. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. I, I thought. I, I think that um, I remember that Ambrose tried to square up on Dusty, and Dusty, in like one motion, whipped his belt off and wrapped it around his fist. And I was like, you know, the last thing to go is a man's punch. You better watch yourself there. And the crowd heat for those matches was just off the charts, too. Oh, yeah. Matt, you look like you were going to say something a minute ago. No, I, I was just going to say, like, he, I still think he's a tremendous worker even now. So I know he, he just had, I think, both knees scoped or replaced or something. But, uh, I mean, I hope that he can recover and come back and, and still have matches. Because even if they're not going to push him... Mm-hmm. Just having him be working with some of the the younger guys they have on the roster would be amazing. Sure. Even him and um, Ron Ron Killings playing Pokemon Go was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and then realizing let's, like Goldust knows all the Pokemon. <laughs> let's be honest. Ron Killings almost by himself is is utter gold. But you mix him with Goldust, and it's going to be. Just an insane amount of fun. That picture of him um, from the Raw 1000 with Terry Reynolds, and he just looks like he would want to be anywhere else. But there at that moment cracks me up every time. I need to dig that one up. I don't remember that. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to throw another 
I suppose at this point we call it an old school team out there. Um, but in their own way, kind of redefined an aspect of tag wrestling because everybody wanted to do what they did. And I guess it depends on where you saw them first, whether you call them the road warriors or the Legion of doom. Um, just, they brought that power aspect in the, um, the documentary that was released about the road warriors. Um, Oh gosh, I guess that'd be five, six years ago now is excellent because it tells about when they first got started and they had a match against the crusher and Dick, the bruiser in, I can't remember which territory, you know, those guys come out and they're the tag champions and they come out to the beer barrel at belly polka or something like that. All of a sudden here come the road warriors and just start throwing them around and Dick, the bruiser's like, what in the hell kind of wrestling is this? And Hawk's like, it's the road warriors and just clubs him or something. Um, just the, you had the road warriors that if you, if I were to describe them to you, two dudes with face paint and they have football shoulder pads with spikes all over them and their names are Hawk and Animal and describe their face paint and their haircut and stuff, you would probably start laughing. They look like. Whenever those guys hit the music. Because they're, you know, I mean, they're doing basically doing a Mad Max gimmick, but they hit the music and they walk out on the stage. And those two guys had the presence that you knew someone was taking a beating when they arrived. You know, I never thought they worked as well in the WWF. They never had the same edge. Well, I mean, they may not, but to me, yeah, it well, just... yeah, they didn't really book them the way that they did before. Yeah, it's, it's well, and, and then of course, towards the end of their their first run, there it, we had like the the whole nonsense. Rocco, the oh god, yeah, oh, yeah, I th- wow. I think cool a cool moment that um was on their WWE <clears throat> DVD set is um Hawks no selling the pile driver from Jerry Lawler in Memphis. Oh yeah. Oh man, that's ooh that yeah that's big. And um, I think the the Road Warriors at their best is when they're coming out to Iron Man by Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That I mean, that's kind of definitive, right? It's you know even even in late WCW the music hits and because Vince Russo doesn't didn't know that the Road Warriors used it so he decided he wanted to use it right but it hits and everyone's like oh is it the Road oh god it's Russo again I I showed my wife a Road Warriors match because we went somewhere and they came up and she's like I don't remember them very well so I was showing her 80s clips and she thought they were hysterical because. And I think it was the Midnight Express, like, Iron Man hits, and, like, before you know it, these two psychopaths are just in the ring, and they're just <laughs> beating the, the shit out of everyone. And there's this, like, yep. and, you know, they're not even in the ring, and then, like, one guy's just on the ground, and, like, Hawk's on top of him, just, like, punching him in the face over and over again. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a Road Warriors match for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that sounds about right. It was. <laughs> I mean, it's the Road Warriors, man. And for years, everybody wanted to be like the Road Warriors. 
that's what everybody wanted is is to be a road warrior. Not everybody can be the road warriors because if you do, then then nobody is. But man, that's yeah. You know, it's just they changed the landscape of tag wrestling. Yep, they did. Okay, those. Uh, Go ahead, Animal still is like banking from his Red Warrior days because he he'll go to a, a lot of these like conventions and he's always at like the WrestleCons um, around WrestleMania season. Uh, and we uh, I was there in the Dallas one. I was also you know this year at a, at New Orleans, but I remember in Dallas we were able to ride the elevator with him and like a bunch of other fans. And he was a very nice guy, very uh, polite to the fans. And I think someone kind of asked him, like, you know, hey, are you, you know, you're still making a living doing this? And he's like, oh, yeah, like between royalties and me showing up at these cons, like I cleared a million last year. Whoa. Yeah. So he he makes like he still makes bank. Like, I don't know if he still is doing that, but it's conceivable that he's still doing a lot. I mean, how many celebrities like B-list TV actors from the 70s and 80s are making their living just signing autographs every other weekend at some convention in the middle of nowhere. I would make the argument that that I don't think it's the same because, you know, this B list guy at a convention, you know, he can do that for a while and he can, you know, he can make some money, but it's not, I, I would say it's not the same as like, you know, the, the notoriety that, people like the road warriors had in their particular arena because and you have it good too because some random indie promotion can pay you five or six hundred bucks to show up because you'll up their house by double the people and then yeah and you don't have to bump yeah and you get to sell your shirts and sign some autographs even at like 10 bucks a piece you know you probably clear another five or six hundred bucks sure yeah, that'd be <laughs> got to do all that stuff that to get that notable, I guess. Wow. And he seems like, as far as like wrestlers go, he seems like he was one of the smarter guys as far as you know how savvy he is with that stuff. Yeah, he. Um, how old is he now? Oh, he's got to be pushing. He's... Well, his sons. I mean, his sons probably almost 30 something yeah he um he's got to be like in his in his late 50s um i only bring that up because he still looks like a dude you would not want to mess with he's still a big dude and even though he's very very nice like if you talk to him like very nice guy (laughs) he still doesn't look like a dude you want to mess with at all he's got that 57 yeah, he's got that look of like an older guy who's probably like a like a dad who you know you, you show up to like date his daughter or something like that, and he's he just has that like steel grip. Or you're like, yeah, <laughs> you don't want to mess with him because you don't know what he's gonna do. You think he? You yeah. Think he put the, you think he'd put the face paint on for that? <laughs> I hope so. I would. Oh man, that I'd would be totally amazing. Do that. He was. I mean, he was a mainstay at Ohio State games when his son was playing there. That's yeah. It still it still blows my mind 
that his brother is uh, Mrs. Baba's favorite wrestler. Yes. John Laronitis. <laughs> you think? Uh, you think? Uh, you think he went to her uh, funeral? Maybe. Well, you know what they said. She liked him uh, young and blonde. Hmm. Yikes. <clears throat> okay. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna move us off of the potentially awkward topic here. Um. Uh, let's see. Uh, Which one of you guys has one you want to bring up next? I will go with um. In the build-up, because I have to save the some of the bigger ones till the end, I will go with Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers, the Fantastics. Fantastic! Oh wow, that's a that's a really good choice. So let's yep. let's talk Clash of the Champions one. That is an absolutely insane brawl that has furniture and a table spot in it. Sorry. Uh, I'm I'm trying to make sure that I don't get mic feedback. So, oh, okay. pardon me, guys. I keep uh, I'm I'm muting. Really, I'm trying to mute for everybody else's sanity. <laughs> they, um, that's on the network. That is a good match. That is probably one of the best brawls you'll ever see. It's just pretty crazy. I would actually say overall, the Fantastics are probably slightly better than the Rock and Roll Express. Hmm. Bold statement. That is pretty bold, but. I, I, the Fantastics are one of those teams that I have seen matches from and always enjoyed them, but I haven't seen a ton of their stuff. So they don't. The problem they have is they don't have that like they don't have that definitive run anywhere. Right. They have the Eddie Gilbert problem, where you see like a lot of Eddie Gilbert here and there, and you're like, oh, they're really great, but they don't have that like they don't have that just key like. You can watch this like six month run of them somewhere and like get like get, you know, the entire point of it. But I think as mm-hmm. far as the team, like Tommy Rogers is a great worker. Bobby Fulton's a little less so. And the problem is, I think a lot of people have seen like the crappier Bobby and Jackie Fulton version from Smoky Mountain. Mm-hmm. But um, they have some good Japan stuff, too. Did they ever have the the NWA tag titles? I don't think so, right? They had the U.S. titles. Oh, okay. Because they 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 had a lot of stuff with the Midnight's, and then I think they won it from them, and then lost it shortly afterwards to um, the Varsity Club. Hmm. You know, I mean, of everything there is, there's there's worse company to be in. It's just kind of a shame that they, like you said, they didn't have that. That one big defining run. Um, we might have mentioned it in the past, but I got to work a couple of shows that Bobby Fulton was on, and Bobby Fulton was always a class act. And he can still work. He doesn't, you know, he, he's not, you know, going full tilt or anything like that, but he still gets the crowd into it just so easily. And uh, Tommy did an episode of Stone Cold's podcast, I think, <laughs> about six months before he passed away, which is a good episode okay. if you can track that down. Okay. It can be kind of hard to find old stuff on um, <laughs> on some of the some of those podcasts. Yeah. And a uh, fun little tidbit is both of those guys worked. Um, 
the WWF light heavyweight tournament in 97 that Taka won. Oh, really? Oh, I feel like I remember that. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Wow, okay. That's interesting. So, let's... uh, I want to say, too, like, there's a lot of teams I absolutely love that I... I, I left off of this just for conversation f- sake. So like I didn't use like the fabulous ones or teams like that. Okay. But I'm down sure. to, I'm down to pretty much just one more team I can mention. Uh, well, no, sorry. I have two more I can mention or that I, I had on my list to mention. I have another team on mine and an honorable mention. What about you, Matt? Uh, well, I could I could literally talk all night about tag teams, yeah. but uh, I've definitely got one I want to go with, and then I'll I'll do I'll have an, an an honorable mention too. Okay, well, Brad, why don't you go ahead and give us uh, give us one of yours? Okay, we're gonna go a little newer because we haven't given the new stuff as much love, um, but I'm going to go with Jay and Mark the Briscoe Brothers. Briscoe mm. Brothers, okay. Okay. So if you if you had to go with probably the most I'd say the best tag team of, you know, the modern era, it's probably them, and that's mostly because they've stuck together. I think if you wanted to like really get a good feel for their personalities, all of their like YouTube promos on like the Briscoe Ranch are always hilarious. I um I think they're a little bland in their earlier Ring of Honor work, but when they kind of embraced like their crazy Delaware redneck um, personalities is when they really blossomed. Great in r- ring workers. I think like the the feud with Steen and Generico from is that two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. I don't know. That's really yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's really I think where they shine. Um, but yeah, they're two of my favorites. They're a little stale in Ring of Honor, but. I've seen them live numerous times, and um, they're just great. They had a great match with um, one of the best live matches I've seen is them versus um, War Machine in Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they have a term that we're fond of, a rather roughneck style, don't they? Yes. They prefer the they prefer redneck kung fu. <laughs> okay, I hadn't heard that before. Mark kind of Mark uh, Briscoe doesn't do it as much in um, in tag matches, but he kind of he kind of does a little more comedy work in um, his singles matches, and he does this he does kind of like a redneck kung fu thing. Okay. Wow. Oh wow, that's okay. That's that's callback. I had when I I was first getting into wrestling, there was a group, babyface group of hillbillies called the Dudleys. Not the Dudleys, the um, Waldos. So you had you had Eugene Waldo and you had Lumpy Waldo and and stuff like that. I pitched to have me work. Because, you know, they all wore overalls and everything. I was going to work in a pair of overalls with a T-shirt that had a smiley face yin-yang on it. And then a 
ninja mask that was going to be gimmicked to look like it was made out of denim to be Mask Ninja Waldo and do the absolute worst kung fu style stuff I could during matches. Like, the cheesiest stuff. Like, you remember playing pro wrestling on NES and doing the King Kong Karn chops. That sort of stuff. Nice. Whew, okay. Matt, who was the next one you had? So, I actually thought about this, and I've included a lot of... um. A lot of old teams, uh, but I'm actually going to throw one more modern or modern-ish team, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go with uh, Kings of Wrestling, Chris Hero, and Claudio Castagnoli, but now better known as Cassius Ono and uh, Cesaro, but so we, they had a... Go ahead. Oh, are we going to go with the Chikara iteration or the Ring of Honor iteration? Uh, we can go with uh, all iterations, I guess, because they had they did have runs both in Chikara and uh, in Ring of Honor. Yeah, they had a really uh, long title run in Ring of Honor, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had the. How long did they have the the title? Almost a year, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. They had it. They had a long time. Uh, and then. Did they have a second run? They, I don't think so, but you know how Ring of Honor is kind of weird with that. Let me look. Okay, Matt. So, so yeah. Uh, for for folks that haven't listened, by the way, Claudio is now known as Cesaro. So right, Cesaro. Why don't you uh, and, Why don't you tell us about him? Well, this team. I don't. I forget. Brad may be able to share. I forget how they actually like started teaming together, but I remember them teaming together in Chikara back in the day when I when I watched some of that promotion, and they were just awesome. Like they really clicked, and they were they're both kind of bigger dudes. I mean, neither one is gigantic, but they're bigger in in they were just certainly bigger than a lot of the people in Chikara who you know tended to have smaller guys and shorter guys because. You know, it's like an American Lucha promotion. Right. Um, and they just, they were tremendous there. They were like just putting on really great matches. I think they won the King of Trios um, tournament. Uh, I don't know, Brad can maybe. He, um, um, Chris Hero turned on Mike to join up with them. And they won the first mm-hmm. Campanados de Parejas. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember if they won a King of Trios. That sounds about right, though. Yeah, and then they... Um, 363 days for one reign. Oh, wow. It looks like they had a second. Oh, man. Let me see. It looks like, And then they... Well, they had it in 2006. They had a 70-day reign in 2006. Then the big reign was... 2010 into 2011. Yeah, so... They were in Chikara, and then you know they they later were in Ring of Honor. And Ring of Honor, they had a, a bunch of great matches, like with the Briscoes and a bunch of other guys. And they were just uh, just a really solid tag team. Like they were two guys who, obviously, on the indie scene, were always like really great. Even before they went to the WWE, they they were exceptionally polished and always had good matches, either as singles and together as a team. Um, and I just really enjoyed watching them. I always thought that I'd always, I guess this years back when you heard that both uh, hero and 
Claudio got signed, I kind of hoped that they would be using them as a tag team, but uh, that never really happened. I think they had like maybe like a one-off match in NXT. Mm. Yeah. Um, but they never really did. They never really did anything with them. And I mean, Cesaro is a guy we've talked before about how he's kind of underused too. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, like who even knows if uh, if Hero will ever actually make it up in the main roster? But I think Hero's um, got to lose about eighty pounds if he ever wants to be on the the main roster. Well, he's kind of he's kind of made his style of being like a big guy now. Yeah, but there's. I, I I think there's he fluctuates a lot and I think there's a point where he looks acceptable but then he crosses this threshold and he's been at that now where he's he just gets he looks sloppy there's a point where he's big and he looks fine and then there's a point where he looks sloppy and he's way past that sloppy point right now yeah doesn't um doesn't he have a thyroid condition isn't that what, um, isn't that part of why his, why his weight bounces around like that? I know Raven mm, I had one at some point, but I don't know about him. Because I remember him talking on Colt's podcast about the first time he lost weight as Finley tried to pick him up in some training thing. And he was like, oh, you fat pig. And then he decided to lose weight after that. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. Well, I... That that honest, I'll be honest with you guys. That's something that I have to have medication for. So he, he um, didn't lose it though, because when he first hit the indie scene after his first NXT run, he was actually pretty thin at the time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say though. Uh, sure. Okay, Kings of Wrestling. Um, I'll go ahead and throw out my honorable mention right now before I do my last one. And let me say it, and then I'll say why. But my honorable mention is going to be, even calling this recent is, is oh my God, it's still 10 years old. Um, I'm going to be referencing Ms. Orison, John Morrison and the Miz as a tag oh, wow. team. And here is why. Uh, first of all, you had this tag team that operated as kind of a career renaissance for both of these guys. Um, they had, they were at this point where they were both kind of treading water. Morrison had, you know, just left Eminem, I think, if that's right. Another great tag and, team. You know, it was, it was. A, my honorable mention was actually a toss-up between this and Eminem, but it, and Eminem was an amazing gimmick. They were with you know the red carpet and the paparazzi and everything. They were lurking around my um my list. Yeah, here's why I'm gonna go with Morrison and Miz though as my honorable mention. This team was the first tag team that I'm aware of to make big use of internet videos and stuff in order to kind of push their message and stuff. They their their WWE.com show the dirt sheet where they did some quality healing. Um you know the the fact that all the stuff they did to just absolutely rip into people on that show. So you take two guys who are excellent heels and then they get a platform that they don't share with anybody else. And weekly, they're putting out 
good content on it. Man, that's that's a big deal. I'm pretty sure that predates even Ryder using YouTube for stuff. Um, so there you go. Honorable mention for Ms. Orison or whatever you want to call it. Um, I guess I'll go with my top team. And I think no one will have, you know, anyone will disagree with this, but the Rock and Roll Express. That's tough to argue with, man. Yeah. Rock and Rolls. My favorite wow. s- story about them is um, actually comes from Lance Storm and Chris Jericho talking about their Smoky Mountain time mm-hmm. uh-huh. and how they were the master. Well, there's there's two stories that are kind of mixed in with it. How they were the masters of merch sales after the shows where they yep. pretty much just had some blanket and they were just tearing pieces of it off and selling it for 20 bucks as headbands. They were writing R&R on them. Yep. And then um, yep. they're talking about these hillbillies that gave them some weird video of the family like doing this weird stuff and how on their garage they had a picture <laughs> of they had a picture of Jesus and then above Jesus was a picture of the Rock and Roll Express. Yes. Oh God, what it, what was it that the, they were saying? I don't remember. Oh, oh my gosh, because they were they're like, we think the Rock and Roll is the best, but then the family started chanting something while they were dancing around. Yeah. But oh man. So with the Rock and Roll Express, this is really a phenomenon you don't hear anymore. Is that pretty boy tag team coming to the ring? And the crowd has a very distinct, high-pitched squeal to it. And you realize that what you're hearing is every woman in the crowd screeching for them. Like they're the Beatles. Yeah, they they were the... Wow, they... Yeah, crazy over. Um... Uh... I'm trying to come up with something else to um, to contribute, but I got nothing, so I'm gonna pass off. Go ahead. They're 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 definitely like I would say easily like a top ten tag team, <clears throat> just in terms of like their overall popularity, their the quality of their work. Mm-hmm. They're still they're still working, right? I think so. Probably. They're, they're got they're like they have to be like. Pushing sixty, if not in their sixties, right? Yeah, I think. Oh yeah, I think what's amazing about them though is if you look at Robert Gibson, he's really not great. It's all Ricky Morton just being such a great seller. Yeah, this is where you get the uh, the playing Ricky Morton that we see, and that, that Ricky was so good at it. That's why the. Um, that's why it's it's attributed to him. Yeah, and yeah, he pretty that that's a trope that he I, I maybe he didn't originate it, but he basically is like he he codified it. it. Like he yeah he yeah. he is like the quintessential face yeah. in peril in a tag team. And I think absolutely, I think it is one of my absolute favorite memories of the '80s is Ric Flair coming out and giving him that little training bra and being like, I like the big girls and you like the little teeny boppers and Morton takes the glasses right off of his face, drops them on the ground and steps on them. Oh, wow, man. And then flair like slaps him and then they start just brawling. Sure. See, 
the thing that was so crazy about Ricky Morton in his selling, it part of it is the way he would sweat, it would look like he was crying. But he'd be on the mat, you know, in a chin lock, and he'd be reaching for the bottom rope, and he'd make eye contact with somebody in the crowd, and he'd reach tor- toward him, and he'd be like, sometimes he would even mouth the words, help me. I know, that was the best. And people are, you know, going to jump the guardrail for a chin lock. And, <laughs> man, what do you... What, uh, what do you, how how does that work? How did how do you get that kind of sympathy that fast? So you be Ricky Morton. Um, I read this in that that um, dinner with legends book. I think this is where I read this, but just because we're talking about the NWA in the eighties, so there was some woman that liked to go to the Techwood tapings, and she would sit in the front row and not have any underwear on. And would make it very obvious. And they said that's why Flair was always looking away from the camera when he was working because he was uh, getting his jollies at the time. (laughs) I don't know if she had the goods to Flair's liking, but um, that's for another time. Sure. Kind of hard to tell, right? He likes it au naturel, as he likes to say. Ah, well... But, um, yeah, I want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and you would, you would, it's, it's weird. You would not think that the double drop kick the Midnight Express or the Rock and Roll Express did as a finisher would be like, you know, you wouldn't look at that and be like, oh, he's done. But those two guys doing that together, for some reason, they just had the execution that worked they did you know yeah and it outshone well i'm not sure it outshone but you know they they do that and of all of the things you could do as a tag team as a finisher two guys doing a drop kick at the same time you wouldn't think would be it but it there it is and it worked i think that's a funny from that same uh lance storm jericho thing they're talking about how they got heat because they were doing, like, as a transitional spot, they were doing drop kicks off the top rope, and they're like, you can't do that. Like, that's, like, the rock and roller finishing people with, like, a double drop kick, not off the top rope. That wasn't, that wasn't transitional. Their finishes, they'd climb the same turnbuckle and do a double missile drop kick as a finish. Oh, okay. But, yeah, you're running into the same thing. I also think, um, I also like Morton, um, in the York Foundation as Richard Morton. Oh yeah, yeah, like a respectable haircut or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think he still had the mullet. He, he does still like, have the mullet. Yeah, he was just combing it back uh, and making it a little more presentable. Was that? Oh man, so that was um the Taylor Made Man, Thomas Rich, and Richard Morton, I think. Mm-hmm. And they didn't get mentioned, so I'll just give them as an honorable mention. But Edge and Christian do deserve a mention. I just couldn't work them into my list. Yeah, they they would have been a good uh, choice for any of us. Yeah, same thing here. It's they were great. It they didn't make the same personal connection to me, so I couldn't put them on my list. I think maybe we should come back like some point in the future and do like a best tag teams of the two thousands. 
and maybe give some of the newer guys some love. I just think it's well, I just think it's harder now because guys don't work like as a tag team for five to ten years anymore. Right. Well, what I was gonna say is it's funny you bring that up because I'll just segue that into my last pick. Mine are not in any particular order, but my last pick for favorite tag teams is the Dudley Boys. Nice. Mm-hmm. A team that started out as a joke, um, but took this gimmick and ran with it, ran all through ECW with it, became the top heels in ECW with it, came to WWE and just, man, went went wild with it. And, you know... They didn't come to WWE and just do the same stuff over again because they couldn't talk the same way they used to. You know, they were just so good at getting heat, but their gimmick evolved in WWE. Not quickly, but over time it did evolve. And, you know, just so good in having that chemistry together. I probably yeah. laughed for like three solid days when they put Mae Young through a table. <laughs> I think my favorite part of that story is that they were concerned about what it would do to Mae, and Mae said, just do it, you sissy. If you, um, when she wrestled that match at some pay-per-view, she was like 70-something, and she was bumping like a champ. Mm. But So I think one of my favorite promos of all time i don't remember who said it but it was them and ecw it's like we've got white dudleys we've got black dudleys we've got indian dudleys i think mama dudley was just a whore (laughs) well papa dudley was named willie loman dudley as a reference a wrestling reference to death of a salesman nice so you know that that was the thing is, is 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 papa dudley got around yeah, he did. So they're all half brothers. Dances with Dudleys and Sign Guy Dudley and Dudley Dudley. Dud, yeah. Big Dick Dudley. Big Dick, yep. Yeah. And Dudley. Little Spike. And so you you had this. It just blew up from these guys who, at least Foley credits them as you know originally they were Slapshot ripoffs, to being their own thing. In a way that just doesn't you know you don't see that kind of chemistry much Ah, uh, here we go the dudley family big dick dudley bubba ray dudley chubby dudley dances with dudley 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 devon dudley sign guy dudley dudley spike dudley and snot dudley snot dudley i don't remember snot um i don't remember him either he must have done like a one shot I did forget Dancing with Dudley because that name cracks me up. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty good name. Okay. All right. So, Matt, you have one more, and Brad, you have one more. Is that right? No, I, I, I got my last one off. All right. Matt, you had one more? No, I think I'm. I think we'll, we'll, we can end there. All right. End with the Dudleys. Hey, that's our list of favorite tag teams. Um, like we said, Edge and Christian deserve to be on the list, but it's not making the same personal connection with us. And some of us are making that personal connection with some older teams. 
And so what's your list? What do you think? Who would you put on the list if it was yours? Let us know. One more time, what's our uh, social media presence, guys? For- if you wanted to follow us, uh, oh, sorry to cut you off, Brad. No, if you want I, to follow us, I was waiting for I was waiting for you to chime <laughs> in, and Ryan's like, "Well, I guess I'll do it." You. All right. What's our Twitter? <laughs> our Twitter is uh, at Podcast Four Corners. Remember that's capital P in podcast, the number four in corners. At Podcast Four Corners. We are the number one uh, Epico Cologne fan site on Twitter, on the twitters.com. So please uh, give us a follow, tweet at us, send us a message. Um, let's chat about wrestling, guys. It's awesome. Yep. And if you want to leave a comment on Facebook, it is just Four Corners Podcast. You can also email us any feedback at, pit, at pitpodcast25 at gmail.com. All right. Hey, guys. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth. We'd love to hear from you. This is Shad with Matt and Brad saying thanks for joining us.